Hey there, and thank you for joining me on the Parable Podcast today. I'm Danielle Zapchank. You know, my greatest desire is that this podcast helps you better understand your own parable stories of your life and how Jesus was there for you. If this or other episodes made you think of a time in your life, here is a perfect opportunity to share the show with a friend, and then you both can listen to it and then begin this authentic conversation, helping you better understand your parable story. I can't wait for you to meet a new friend of mine, Scott Dubois, who helps connect why our identity plays such a huge role in our lives. Because our identity gets really, really messed up because we're imperfect people. We're born into imperfect circumstances. We're born and raised by imperfect people. And sooner or later, the soul work is, what was my wound? Has my wound impacted my ability to love my wife well? Has my wound really made me value things in this world that should be alien to me? Does my wound equip me with a really better mask? Because people really don't know who I am, but they love my mask. Here's my conversation with Scott Dubois. Well, Scott, welcome to the Parable Podcast. We're so glad that you are here. Scott, I found out about you through my friend Lisa, who I would have to say is one of my number one (laughs) listeners of the Parable Podcast, and she just saw something in you. She just thinks you're a fabulous person, and you have a lot to share, and you just told me before the start of the show that it's funny how people, they don't even recognize that about themselves, that you mean something to other people. How does that make you feel? It's good that occasionally, in spite of who we are, who we want to be, that people see a little bit of Christ in us. And I think that her comments and her confidence in me are extra special. Before she was my coworker, she was my customer. So there's a, a series of puts and takes in every relationship, but it's nice when your customers and now your coworkers see God in you and see, see his goodness in you or feel his encouragement through you. Is there anyone in your life that you can just quickly think about, be like, that person has really impacted my life and maybe they don't even realize it? You know, my life is a tapestry of people that have touched me and encouraged me. The people most profound in my life that have gotten me where I am is probably my wife of uh, almost 30 years and my men's group. I've been in the same men's group for about 15 years. You know, you go through life together, you do life together, and over the long arc of time, it's amazing. It's a gift. It's one of the ways God loves us is, is through the people around us. It's one of the ways He shapes us through the people around us. And I've, I've been very fortunate with a very, almost like a life group, and like I say, a 30-year marriage, to have gotten, say, well-formed, well-loved by the people around me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You are in Georgia. So what do you do with your life? Who's in your family? So I've been, we've been married almost 30 years. We have two adult children. My daughter's married two years this July, and I've got a 27-year-old son who's the oldest. All my kids live in Atlanta. I'm very fortunate. We try to keep them close. We've been at North Point Community Church for about probably 22, 23 years and spent most of my time in middle school ministry. You do tours of middle school ministry in three-year increments. I've led boys groups, and then we transferred into coaching, and then we transferred into coaches mentors, which is more about building community amongst the volunteers there. And then most recently, we've been doing kind of discipleship for men for about six or seven years, and then recently joined TrueFace as a discipleship group that they've just started called TrueFace Groups that we're also doing as well. So 
I have a day job in telecom and been there for about 30 years. It's, it's been very good to me. It's the way we take care of our family. It's fueling. But my passion is walking with people. And my passion is finding times to encourage them. And if you can get into the cracks of life together, it's really when God shows up, trying to find those moments. My husband, Eric, and I, we have a nine-year-old son, Reed, and our daughter, Edie, is 12. And we were in the car the other day, and I, I asked her, I said, why do you think mom and dad, you know, help at our church? <laughs> We're pretty involved at our church, just like you seem to be. You said, you know, you love walking with people and just doing ministry. Why has that been something that's been of importance to you? You know, for as long as I sat on the carpet in middle school ministry, as long as I've walked through different kind of curriculums and read different books with different men's groups, as much as you think... that you're doing for someone else. I think ultimately God does more in you. I think he uses us to sharpen each other. You know, I was reading a book called A Hunger for Healing. It's basically, it takes the 12-step AA process and connects it with the gospel. I just started reading it. And one of the things it said that ultimately the sponsor gets more than the sponsored. The sponsor gets more than the person he or she sponsors because in some way it keeps us regular. It keeps us focused. It keeps us on our knees. It keeps us rehashing things that we, we want to make sure we've learned. It keeps us engaged in soul work rather than the silliness of life. And, I, and it, just like volunteering, just like the community of relationship that you develop in volunteering, ultimately those lessons that you're you know trying to illustrate or bring to life, regardless of who you're in front of, I think it's God reminding us. He's talking to us. I want to make sure you get this, you know? So that's why we volunteer. One is to give back, but two is I'm hungry to do whatever he needs me to do because I feel like as much as we're going to give, we'll always get more. He's got something for us. You said engaged in soul work, and I love the way that that sounds. That inspires me to live my life. What does it look like for you to be engaged in soul work? What does that mean for you? I was listening to something the other day, and the guy said, the church has been profoundly focused for years on getting people to heaven. You get saved, you go to heaven. Let's just get them to heaven. Let's just get them to the kingdom of God, rather than getting the kingdom of God into the souls of the people. So it's more of a discipleship focus, you know, especially in the last couple of years, sitting in circles with men, 35 to 45, starting to get them to unpack how they got there why they are where they are in their life, in their marriage, in their fatherhood journey, and starting to understand, you know, getting to issues of identity, who they are, who they think they are, who Christ says they are. And there are certain things, I've dealt with it myself, there are certain things that inhibit us to see ourselves the way God sees us. There's certain things and wounds and troubles and trials in life that disable us from truly resting in His promises and, and more than resting in it, trusting in them. Because our identity gets really, really messed up because we're imperfect people. We're born into imperfect circumstances. We're born and raised by imperfect people. And sooner or later, the soul work is, what was my wound? Has my wound impacted my ability to love my wife well? And serve my wife well? Has my wound really made me value things in this world that should be alien to me? Does my wound equip me with a really better mask? Because people really don't know who I am, but they love my mask. So the soul work is going into the basement, looking into the boxes that we don't like to look into, unpacking them, 
and trying to to get our identity and our, our hope and our trust pointed in the right direction where we're free. God has so much for us and he is so good. And sometimes we just can't get out of our own way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Scott, that really does make sense because I, <laughs> I even find myself getting my own way all of the time. And I think, you know, that's obviously the devil in our life that's, that's pulling up those pain points that we have. But yeah, it's, it's choosing to get in the basement to be vulnerable. And I think either if you're female or male, those vulnerable points are hard, especially in community because we've been hurt before, or just maybe we've never realized that we are truly vulnerable with Jesus who wants us to be in that place. So that's a really good point. Scott, what would you have to say, you know, this show is about being a little bit vulnerable, sharing stories with others. That's really important as you talked about, you know, working in men's ministry, even with middle school students. What is a story that you would like to share with us today? The story is that as I kind of get on and focus on the second half of life, my story really becomes more about trying to put myself in a position of being available. I'm feverishly, expectantly trying to get to the place where more and more I'm spiritually free. And why is this important? Why am I expectant? Why do I feel like I've been given extra innings in the second half of life? I grew up as a fat kid, fiercely insecure abandoned by my birth father. My mom did remarry when I was five, but you know, that never goes swimmingly. I was raised by a great man. He's the one that led me to Jesus. But in that whole stickiness and mess of abandonment, there rose in me years of insecurity that formed itself and got, if you will, neutralized or hidden or somewhat medicated, if you will, by food. So um, I've been heavy most of my life. And even when I'm not heavy, I see the fat kid in the mirror. It just is these deep insecurities. I learned to thwart insecurity by overperforming. I learned that performance and perfection was a great way to mask the things that were inside of me. Even as a grown man, um, those things don't go away. You know, those boxes are deep in the basement. But recently, through a series of crazy, crazy, crazy coincidences, you know, God's gotten my attention. Valentine's Day, I fell down some stairs. And when I fell down the stairs, I hurt my back. I went to a chiropractor. A chiropractor said, we're going to fix you. He did. He said, I want to touch that place in your back, but I'm scared to. Go get an x-ray. Cool. Went and got an x-ray. X-ray said, uh, you cracked these little spines that live off your vertebrae. No problem with the vertebrae, no problem with the uh, discs. But I did see, by the way, in your lower aorta, I did see plaque. I've been heavy all my life. Lots of generational lipiditis and cholesterol issues in my family. We stroke and die, rarely have heart attacks. So I finally said, you know what? I knew this was coming. I wouldn't take statins. I was proud. I exercised like a freak four or five days in Orange Theory, but I still had a stronghold with my mouth and what I put in it and appetites and pleasure from food and comfort food and celebration from food. And long story short, decided this is the call. I need to lose weight. Through providential relationships at work, I found a coach with Optavia. I'm down about 40 pounds. And this girl is fierce on me about, we need to understand the why you're going to lose weight. You need to understand what hangs in the balance if you don't lose the weight. And I need you to see every day that you feel tempted to go off the track. I want you to see your family of the future. And I want you to tell them that your future is not important with them because you want that glass of wine or that steak or that pasta dish or whatever comfort. It was a total God thing that I found her. It's a total God thing. When I got the signal about the lipids that I lost 40 pounds, then the same chiropractor said, you know what? I suffer with the same thing. Go see my doctor. Doctor gave me a $99 test for plaque. Doctor comes back and says, hello, 
we have a plaque problem. These four major arteries are really high. This one is very alarmingly high. We're going to get another test. So we go down, we get another test. The test says, yep, results were bad and you have a problem. 10 days later, I'm in the cath lab at 55 and I went in for maybe exploratory. Maybe you'll need one stint. I walked out with four. So you see in this season of life, getting four stints after falling down the stairs, getting four stints after finding this this doctor that knew how to treat me and a chiropractor that led me to the doctor because it was really about a hurt back. No, it was God getting my attention. And so in this season of life, I'm expectant that I've been given extra innings. I'm expectant that, okay, we're going to deal with the food thing. I thought I was surrendered. No, I, I have some more surrendering to do. We need to surrender the stronghold of food. We need to surrender the joy that comes from food and how we self-medicate there. And he's gotten my attention. A week after the heart thing, I was in Italy with my wife for a wedding of really good friends. Then I was in Rome with an 82-year-old man climbing the stairs of the Vatican to the rotunda. And then, and then I was venturing around Italy with my son and my wife, just the three of us. I feel like I'm still surrendering. I feel like God is not done with me. I feel like had we not found the 95% blockage in the widow maker and 75% blockage in the other arteries on my heart, I feel like it would have been an early ending and it would have been a great celebration. It would have been Earth, Wind, and Fire. It would have been Into the Mystic with Van Morrison. There would have been lots of funny stories, but God said not yet. So now I find myself, and I've talked to Lisa about this, I find myself going, okay, God, what is it now? Do I need to love my sweet wife more tenderly? Do I, I have extra innings with my son who's 27? Do I get to love my daughter and her husband a little bit better and grandkids that could come? Or is it is there something else you need me to do? And I've literally been like, just show me. The answer is yes. What's the question, God? Anyway, little about my story. I've been a Christian since I was uh, 17. Early adulthood was not good. Early marriage was not good. But in these days, with with some of that settled, you know, I'm just kind of like, I've been given extra innings. What are you going to do with it? Scott, tell me a little bit about, you know, you said you grew up and there was some some insecurity. How do you think that played a role as you went through your childhood into your adulthood and also in your relationship with God? Because insecurity, you know, it kind of spills over into every part of our life. I think when you're insecure, when you seek security in other things, I think that it comes out of a position of hiding your weakness. My weakness was I wasn't good enough to have my father stay in the family. My weakness was my father never made play dates or visitation dates. And the haunting that, why didn't he show up for play date? Those things don't leave you. And and at some point, you try to manifest out of them. You try to outperform out of them. You try to perfect out of them. If you don't want to be the fat kid, and if you don't want to be the kid that, whose father never made the play dates, then you learn to find identity and acceptance and performance. For men, it's the ball field, the bedroom, the boardroom, the billfold. For women, it could be other things. Comparison traps, looking left and right. It could be in how you keep your homes, what you do, whether you work out of the home, in the home. I mean, the comparison trap is deadly for everybody, particularly for women, and how well you're loved. To answer the question, you know, most of my 40s and early 50s was spent kind of breaking down the mask and getting to who my identity is. My identity is I'm a son of God. Before I do anything, God looks at me and says, this is my son with whom I am proud. Just like he did with Jesus. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, before miracles were known, before loaves and fishes and Lazarus and death and resurrection, God said, today, as you are, baptized by John the baptizer, you are my son with whom I am proud. I think about 
if I'd had that identity longer and rested in it longer, how some of the foils and trials and mistakes would have not happened because I would have lived from the identity of the Son of God. I would have lived from the identity as this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And living from that probably would have kept me from some of the classic mistakes that men make, as I mentioned, where we try to find our identity. And probably would have softened some of the insecurity and and the striving that came from it. Scott, what would you say would be some kind of tools or encouragement for people to you know, maybe ask the question, what is my identity? What are those things that I believe about myself? And what are those things that are untrue? So what would help to form the more positive approach to identity for someone? First thing is, is I think it's important. I have seen people find and I have been closer to who I am in Christ when I'm surrounded by a group of men who are all in. Without the the men I've walked with over the last seven or eight years, without my men's group of 15 years, I don't know if I really would have seized the identity of being a son of God and really lived from that. So I think one is community. Two is, it's not just a community. This is not chicken wings and sports scores. This This is literally moving into a place of vulnerability. This is sharing your last 10%. This is talking about the things that no one ever wants to talk about and being brave enough to know that when you do share your last 10%, if you're in the right group of men and everybody else is sharing, normally you're loved more because of it, not less. I think that, you know, if people fear judgment, they fear kind of the worldly reaction to imperfection. But in the right group, in the right community, in the right environment, being vulnerable is incredibly important. Second thing is, I think it's important to lean in and serve. As much as we might be called to work with middle schoolers or married couples or Christian financial principles, whatever you're led to help others with, ultimately, I think it's refinement for us. And I think staying regular in that refinement is important because it's another form of community. But I also think it's where God nudges us. He talks to us privately. And I think it's so much better to fill our heads with that stuff than the thoughts that haunt us, social media thoughts, work thoughts, performance thoughts, comparison thoughts, body insecurity and image thoughts, the things that people ruminate when they're just sitting idle. Man, I'd rather fill my head with the things that I fill my head with. Those are two big things. I think community, service, and I'd say be regular with Christ. I don't think he's asking for us to memorize and spit scripture. I don't think he's asking us to read a chapter a day. I think he wants us to crawl up in his lap, be a five-year-old boy, show the vulnerability that five-year-old boys need for their mama and their daddy. And that's the kind of reliance he wants us to have on him. And, you know, it's kind of antithetical. People think you got to muscle up and super flex and quote scripture. That is not what God needs. God wants us just to trust in him and live as sons and anointed daughters. Scott, how would you describe your relationship with God through this last season, this health journey of your life? Obviously, you saw the evidence of his work in your life, but what did that do for your relationship with him on the daily? I can't live without him without listening to his word, listening to people talk about his word. I've been heads down for a long time listening to Dallas Willard, kind of an eight-part series. I just finished a whole thing on renovation of the heart. I'm about to do this Hunger for Healing book. And then I'm hungry for scriptures that I can print, highlight, and stick on my desk. And then prayer. I talk to God throughout the day. 
It's me talking to my father. It's me trying to rest in his lap before I get spun up with the trials of the world and, and the day-to-day stuff that we get spun up about. But that's how I do it. And, and I have found knowing that I have extra innings, I'm literally leaning in. Paul writes, and I think it's um, in Philippians, where Paul is writing and he's never got to Philippi, but he's encouraging people from jail. He understands his ailment. He understands his affliction and he's weakening, but he's still, as I have a weak heart now and with four stints, at 55, I'm like, okay, God, I I know this wasn't on accident. I know this was on purpose. Please help me find the purpose. I'm not going to find that unless I lean in to him and his people. Yeah, Scott. So since you, you know, that was a hard and traumatic thing to go to as a kid, having that abandonment from your father, did that continue into how you viewed God? Because a lot of, you know, there's that language of God is our father. Has that been a really hard part to kind of separate to know, like, this is what my earthly father was like, but this is what my heavenly father is like? You know, I didn't realize that was an issue for me until probably, I'd say, nine, ten years ago. I didn't realize there was parts of me stuck in shame or embarrassment or insecurity that really kept me from surrendering. I didn't realize that I actually thought, understand the thought, that there were little pieces of you that you could give to God and little pieces you could hold back. Even this recent journey, reading defining my relationship with food is part and parcel of, hey, I just found an area that I needed to surrender. But that was a process. That was a process because I had to really come to grips with how much God loved me. I had to come to grips that He doesn't really need me. He doesn't want anything from me. What He needs to get done in this world is going to get done without me. He just loves me so much that He wants me involved in it, if I'll be involved with it. And when you realize that, how much He loves you and what His plans are and how long and deep he's pursued me, it's kind of overwhelming. For me, it kind of redefined everything. But you had I had to get to a place where I understood that. And it it took a while. It's a journey. Like I was saved since I was 18 years old, 17 years old. But the discipleship and the spiritual maturity and the renovation of my heart Living as though Christ lives in me really didn't happen until my, you know, I'd say mid to late 40s. I love that idea, renovation of my heart. And it's so interesting. Like, obviously, yes, you've had some actual physical heart work done. Yeah, <laughs> but, know. You know what? We don't need we don't need the plaque in our body to be the actual heart work that we need to do individually, you know? We don't. So everyone, everyone has to do that heart work. And gosh, that's so good. That's really good, Scott. If people wanted to get connected to you or just talk to you a little bit more, how can they do that? Um, Ping me on Facebook. Scott, it was a pleasure to talk to you and share about what people do with the pain that they have experienced and opening up about the ways that we self-medicate those hard feelings. It was awesome to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. One thing Scott added after we taped this podcast was how important it was to have someone who knows you really well in your life, like a great friend or a spouse that can be like a full length mirror for you. These people in our lives that can speak into who you are and what you are. And for Scott, his goal is to honor and listen to his wife, Monica, so that he can love her as God's daughter and Jesus even more. 
Be sure to connect with Scott if his story impacted you today. All of his info will be linked in the show notes at daniellezapchank.com. So grab a journal and utilize these reflection questions. I love journaling. I don't do it every day, but it's helpful for me to go back, kind of look at and see what God's doing in these parable stories of my own life. So the first question is, what are the comparison traps you keep falling into these days that you need to be more mindful of? And number two, maybe it's time for you to take a moment and have an honest heart check where you are in your relationship with God and your level of vulnerability with yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Come follow me on Instagram or Facebook. It's at Danielle Zapchank. That's C-A-P-C-H-E-N-K. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, whether on Apple, Spotify, or even on YouTube. And leave a rating or review. It really helps people find out about the podcast. And thanks to my husband, Eric, for editing this podcast today and his technical expertise. That'll do it for today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Remember, your parable showcases a heart restoration. See you back again next week on the Parable Podcast. Podcast.